Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to episode four. My guest today is BJJ competitor and phenom Brianna St. Marie. It's time to high five and fist bump. A jujitsu podcast for the everyday grappler. Let's talk subs. Let's talk positions. Let's talk dominating the mats. Welcome to the Let's Talk Jujitsu podcast with Raymond Terrence. My guest today is a 2018 Pan Am gold medalist in Gi and No Gi. She's a 2018 double bronze medalist at Worlds, double gold medalist at the 2018 IBJJF in Boston and Toronto, a 2018 German national gold medalist in Gi and No Gi, a No Gi silver medalist at Worlds in 2017, and she's also a multiple gold medalist locally like the Ottawa Open, Ontario Open, and SAU. Brianna, let's talk jiu-jitsu. Great. Can't wait. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. So um, I'm definitely going to take another sip of water uh, because uh, I had to go through your long list of accolades. So congratulations on all your success. Thank you. Um, so maybe tell me a little bit about how you got into jiu-jitsu and how long you've been doing jiu-jitsu for. Yeah, so actually um, you spoke to my dad the other day on your first episode of the podcast. Uh, when it was back when I was like eight years old or something, my dad used to show me all these like kind of like grappling moves that's what he told me we were grappling show me all like you know arm locks and stuff like that head locks you know the works um so I asked him if I could do this thing called grappling uh, and he looked over all over Montreal at the time like I don't know if I was eight it must have been like it was like 13 years ago or something so uh there wasn't really much jujitsu for kids in Montreal uh so he offered me to do wrestling but I was like no this isn't the fun stuff we do on the ground like I don't want to do this like <laughs> this other thing Anyways, and then uh, flash forward, my dad found BTT when they opened up in uh, 2011. But then he was telling us he was doing jiu-jitsu, and I didn't know jiu-jitsu and grappling were the same thing. So I was completely uninterested. I was like, I don't want to do that weird thing my dad does. Um, and then I met uh, my current boyfriend right now um, at St. Hubert, and he found out my dad did jiu-jitsu. We talk about it all the time. And then finally, I was like, okay, I'm ready to give this a try. Uh, and then lo and behold, it was that, <laughs> that grappling thing that I always wanted to do when I was a child. So it's a Great. And were you doing any sports before you started jiu-jitsu? Um, yeah, so I've been playing rugby uh, since I was about 12 years old. And I only stopped about last year just because jiu-jitsu kind of took over. Um, but I've always kind of enjoyed contact sports and like that kind of thing. Okay, great. So I know you've, uh, I mentioned at the beginning all of the things that you've been doing in regards to competition. So tell me a little bit about, so you've obviously been a very competitive person if you were doing rugby beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I guess, what was it an easy transition going from rugby to jiu-jitsu? I think in the sense that like a lot of people when they start off, they kind of feel like a bit awkward or uncomfortable. Like, like, I don't know, like climbing on top of a stranger or something like that versus like in rugby, like we're always doing like uh, drills with physical contact. So to me, it just seemed natural. Like, okay, go in this position. Okay, sure. No problem. You know, I, and like when it came time to roll, I wouldn't be shy to just go for it. Even if I didn't have the technique yet, I could just, you know, give it best shot. Cause I wasn't shy to just jump on someone and, you know, try and choke them. <laughs> so in, in, and, and in competition, I guess, uh, you're a blue belt currently in jujitsu, yeah. soon to be purple belt, yeah, by the way, soon <laughs> to be, <laughs> that should be like a month away. Yeah. How long have you been a, a blue belt for? Uh, so I got my blue belt in December of uh, 2016, so it's going to be two years 
uh, into this December. That's great. And in those yeah. two years, you've been competing nonstop, basically. Yeah. <laughs> Every single competition I could possibly find <laughs> anywhere in the States or in Canada, you're pretty much doing. So I know you've been traveling traveling a lot for competition. Um, and what, So the most recent one that you did was, was which one? Uh, the most recent one was the Ottawa Open, which I was actually so grateful to like go compete with like less than a six hour drive or a six hour flight. So that was a big deal for me. <laughs> and you also did the Worlds recently. Um, yeah. So in uh, June uh, 2018, I went to the World Championships in California. Tell me a little bit about that and your experience at, at Worlds. Obviously, it's a bigger stage, yeah. more competitors. You actually have women's divisions with more than two people in your yeah. division. <laughs> so maybe tell me a little bit about your preparation for roles, what you did, the type of training that you did. Um, so leading up to the World Championships, I was uh, training quite a bit. Like I was training maybe 10 times a week. Um, it was a bit hard at first. So obviously, I'm still a full-time student. But um, I don't know, it was kind of hard going into the Worlds because I uh, won the Pan Ams in, uh, in March, I think it was. And I knew that that kind of meant like it was kind of like a, a reality check for me in a way. Like, OK, I could actually like I have a chance at being world champion. So that was kind of like weighing over me the whole time. Like. I could actually do this, you know, I'm not, I'm not just flying to California to like go and like, you know, win, win one fight, lose the next, like, I actually like, I want it to be in my head that I want to go there to win and to be a world champion, you know, so that was kind of like a, a big pressure for me uh, going into it, but also a big motivator because I saw that I could hang like at the, at the high levels of like my weight class at Blue Belt, you know, so I don't know, kind of just all things going through my head. And things went well. Worlds. Yeah, um, they did. To be honest, I'm I'm not uh, that satisfied with bronze medal because I think in the end, like, I'm not, people are, oh, world champion, world champion. I'm like, I'm not a world champion. I didn't win the gold. I won the bronze. Um, not to say that I don't respect anyone who comes home with, like, a medal from one of these tournaments. I think it's a huge accomplishment. But I think, too, that, like, if I want to be the best, I have to, like, I can't be satisfied with bronze. I have to, you know, I, I'm, a little, I'm a little upset that I actually... That, that's what I end up uh, getting. But. And do you find that when you competed at Worlds compared to competing at different venues that the caliber was just that much more elevated, that the girls were a lot more skilled at the blue belt level compared to maybe some local tournaments? Um, I think it's also a matter of sheer numbers. Like if you go to the Worlds, you're going to like at the Worlds, I think I had like 65 girls in my division. So you're guaranteed like, you know, five, six fights in order to get to goals. So sometimes it's honestly just like luck of the draw, like, you get like you can fight the gold medalist opening round, the eventual gold medalist opening round. Um, it's just it's different, you know. And all the girls there, like you know, people have traveled for this. I find that's like a big aspect too. Like if I'm paying like you know a thousand bucks to make this trip to California, like I'm coming in hungry. Like I don't want to lose my first fight, you know. <laughs> and I think that's true of like a lot of girls who are there. They're like everyone's traveling for this. Everyone's coming down. Everyone's like saying that like they think that they're good enough to be world champion. So even if like the caliber could be the same at a local tournament, there's that it's just on another level because of that, because everyone's like acknowledging that this is going to be like, you know, a clash of the best at that level. And were you able to stick to your game plan when you went to Worlds? Yeah, actually something that like just a transition throughout like my, uh, since I've been competing is that I found when I first started competing, I like didn't feel like myself when I stepped on the mats, like on the mats at the gym, I would feel great. I would be like, I have a game plan, like it's working. And then I would step on a tournament and I end up doing like, I might still win. I was still winning medals, but like I would do like a white knuckle ride, you know, I would like hold on to things. I'd be so scared to like, even just like open up at all. 
and to play my game because it was the pressures of the competition. And it was only really in the past, like I would say like eight months that I found that like I'm actually stepping onto the competition mats and I'm rolling like at least like similarly to how I roll on the mats back home. And that was like such a great feeling for me. So when I went to the Worlds, like I did feel that way. I felt like I was like, okay, they pull guard, like, okay, great. Like I'm going to smash this guard. You know, I, I pull guard, like sweep, like exactly like I do back home pass, you know, like I really felt like they could throw anything at me and I was ready for it. And I would respond in the same way that I do at the mats back home which is something that's only really been more of a recent thing for me. And training at BTT, do you find that your day-to-day class, the way that you drill and you do techniques, do you have, are you always focusing on, on competition training? Or sometimes you go to gist and you're like, I'm just going to have a super casual class. I'm going to learn something new and, you know, maybe look at, you know, this type of technique instead of constantly being in competition mode or, <clears throat> excuse me, I also have a cold, by the way. Brianna <laughs> also has a cold. I'm super thankful for her coming here, even though she's feeling sick. Um, do you find that you're always in competition mode and that's what's brought you lots of success? Or are you able to kind of lay back and just do a class of jiu-jitsu? I think that, like, I'm always in competition mode in the sense that, like, for example, every time I roll with someone at the gym, like, no matter who it is, I'm always aware of, like, I always try and, like, count the points in my head, you know? Um, I always try and think, like, okay, I won that roll by two points and an advantage. You know, I always try and have that in my mind because I think that that, like, helps you develop your game and, like, know what needs to be done in order to win a tournament. Um, That being said, like, I'm not... I always try, I'm only a blue belt, right? So I'm not going to be like, oh, this is my game and I can't, you know, don't show me anything that's not my game because <laughs> like, I, you know, it's not going to benefit me. Like, no, I'm, I definitely go through periods where I try and incorporate like new techniques. Like I ask around, I try and fix problems that I've had. Um, obviously leading up to a tournament, like three, four weeks out, I'm just going to be drilling my best stuff. But yeah, hundred percent, like I experiment, but I always keep in mind, like, especially when I'm rolling, like I'm always aware of, of how the role is going. If I'm, if I'm down two points, even if I'm rolling with like, you know, who knows who, like just another blue belt at the gym. Like if I'm down two points and there's a minute left, like I'm going to hustle to like even the score, you know, and like at least, and then try and get an advantage, win the role, you know, it's always kind of running through my mind. That's interesting because me as a purple belt, I would have to say that I only started getting into that mentality when I've competed quite a bit and I try to compete as much as possible. Definitely not as often as you in any possible way. And I haven't had that type of skills. I even had the opportunity to go to Worlds. And maybe not that I didn't have the opportunity, but maybe I was kind of fearful of saying, like, I'm I'm definitely not at that caliber. You know what I mean? Like, I enjoy jiu-jitsu. I like competing. I'm a competitive person. But those guys are like, they're doing jiu-jitsu all the time type of thing. Yeah. But uh, I, that's a good way to approach it. Say, hey, I'm going into jiu-jitsu. Yeah, I'll have, a, I'll have a, a hard roll. But I'm always thinking, okay, I'm two points up or I'm two points down. So that way when you're – I guess when you do get into competition mode and you're at a tournament, yeah. you're, you're – you, that, that the thought process is still going through your head. So whether you're doing it at the gym or a competition, I mean, you're always doing it the same way. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Just like, I think that, um, what's actually helped me like be really successful in tournaments is just being like systematic in a way, you know, like, yeah, I think that's so important. Like sometimes you see people like, they'll be like, I don't know, up five points at a gym and then they go for like, sorry, at a tournament, not a gym. Yeah. So, so you'll see someone, they'll be up five points at a tournament and then they go for like, I don't know, some kind of sloppy submission. And then next thing you know, they're getting their guard passed and, and mounted. And I'm just like, I'm like, how did you let that happen? You know, like, <laughs> especially like I get it. Black belt, 10 minute matches. Like, but in a six minute match at blue belt, I'm like, if I'm up five points, like 
You're I'm winning stay that up match, five you know, I'm gonna, I'm or gonna, subbing. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm looking for the submission, but I'm doing it. I'm even with my submissions, especially I'm systematic. Like, uh, like I'm really like going through every little step to make sure to not like let anything slip. Like, cause the idea of losing a match that I was like just dominating over, like, you know, like slipping up on like a transition to mount or slipping up on like trying to go for an arm bar, like, my God, I, w- I would hate myself after, you know, <laughs> like obviously everyone makes mistakes. I make, I make equally stupid mistakes in other aspects, but. And you're doing jiu-jitsu for a different reason. Everyone has their own reason for doing jiu-jitsu yeah. and their own goals. So you're, you want to compete a lot and you want to yeah. do well. So you have that mentality when you're rolling. And I think uh, other people also have a, are, are, are competitive in nature, but don't necessarily do a lot of tournaments. Either they don't have the cash to do it because, I mean, it's, what, 130 bucks sometimes yeah. if you're doing the IBJJFs. Oh, yeah, yeah. If you're doing some, something local, maybe 70, 75 bucks. I mean, we're in Canada, so if we're going to the border or we're going into the yeah. States, we're doing Boston, New Hampshire, New York. I mean, you have to take the exchange rate into consideration, all this stuff. So it's the not the cheap. Hotel, the before, right. yeah. So even if you're not competing at a lot of tournaments, you can still go into the gym and be like, I'm up on points. I'm doing yeah. well here. So I'm going to keep this position and I want to finish the match and say to myself, hey, I want that match yeah. because X, Y, and Z. You've also done some sub-only tournaments, yeah. correct? Do you find uh, that there's, oh, there's obviously a huge difference between sub-only yeah. and points. Is there one that you prefer over the other? Um, I'm going to go ahead and say that in the gi, I think I prefer the point system because I I find like there's ways to just like wait out a match and not get submitted in gi if you want to. Um, so it's nice to have the points there. So people can't just like, I hate when people fight for a draw, you know, like in those sub only matches and, and like, Oh, okay. We, you know, the match ended in a draw. So I didn't lose. Like we usually, there's always like one clear like winner and loser in those like sub only matches. Versus in nogi, I think I prefer the sub only format because I think it just suits uh, the style of nogi better personally. That's what I think. Um, because in nogi, like you could get your guard pass so much easier, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're being dominated because you can also recover very easily, you know? So the idea that like you could be attacking, like dominating attacking submissions in nogi, and then they like pass your guard once because like, you know, things are slippery in nogi and you recovered immediately after, like, Sometimes I'm like, okay, that's that's not as fun, you know. I really like the like the fast-paced dy- like um, how fast-paced Nogi is, and that has a really exciting dynamic. So I think for that, I would prefer actually the submission-only format. And you, and you're doing gi and Nogi evenly on a weekly basis. Are you doing just as much of both, or? Um, I do about mostly just because of what's available. We have like slightly more gi classes available. I do about three no-gi classes a week and then uh, anywhere from five to uh, like seven gi classes. And how is one complementing the other? Um, I find that like just like little details for like controlling and like uh, your opponent like that you learn in no-gi like have really helped my like apply to my gi game because um, obviously you don't have the grips in no-gi so you can't like paralyze your opponent just by like holding something down you know you really have to like figure out where to put your weight like where to base out and this and that so I find that's like my I feel like training in nogi has really helped my gi game in a way okay yeah. and what's your favorite position to possibly be in we'll just say in the gi I was about to say you know be general and say just jiu-jitsu in general but let, let's talk about the gi for a minute here if you had to pick one position you're like if I'm there I'm like golden I'm like good to go I love me some clothes guard <laughs> <laughs> I know, uh, really? <laughs> basic, but uh, usually if I close the guard, things go well for me. So I'm going to have to say close guard. And what's the reason for that? Is it just because you have 
great options from there or you yeah I find there's just like you have like unlimited options like I think uh, our coach Fred actually once said you know if you're in the guard if you're in somebody's guard you have one option you have to stand up and pass you know if someone's in your guard you have 10,000 options sweep submit like you name it like a million different ways um, and I think that it's just great because you can attack like so many submissions uh, so many sweeps from when they're in your guard and then even if they stand up and manage to open the guard like you can choose what guard you want to set up on them from the close guard. Yeah, like you have so much like control from that position, you know? So. And you're pretty good when it comes to triangles. I think everyone knows by watching yes. your, your videos <laughs> and, and all of your high-level matches when you compete that you tend to finish most <laughs> <laughs> fights by a triangle from either mount or from the bottom. Is that Do you do drill triangles all the time and that's why you're very good at triangles? Or is it just something that you just picked up and you're like, wow, I'm just really good at this? I think more the latter, like it, it kind of just through rolling, like I ended up like starting to hit triangles more than anything else. Like it wasn't necessarily for me, like practicing triangle setups and stuff. I think like, I think that's natural though. A lot of people, they like through training, they find one submission that they're kind of like just more apt at hitting and stuff. Um, I know people always ask me like what your favorite submission is and like whichever one I get in the moment, you know, like, (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah, I think I think maybe maybe it might be my body type. Like for my weight class, I tend to be like uh, longer than other girls. Maybe my my legs giving me advantage in that sense. But yeah, I just I think it goes well with the close guard game too, obviously, and stuff like that. Do, do, so. do you cut a lot of weight uh, when you compete? Or uh, not very much, but I still find it very difficult. Like I cut anywhere from like three to five pounds to make it in the gi, and then like a bit more for no gi. Guys do like one class and they're like, yeah, I just shed three pounds. Like I'm good to go. Exactly. It's much harder, right? For you. you. No, know, they'll be like, oh, the night before, like my boyfriend, he's like 10 pounds over. He's like, oh, right where I want to be, you know? <laughs> I'm like, go oh, fuck yourself. Like, <laughs> meanwhile, I'm like, you know, three sauna baths deep and like, <laughs> I'm still like a pound over. I find, I don't know if this is like uh, generalizing, but from everyone I've talked to, like women, they hold on to weight like more than men. Um, so sometimes like, I'll be eating less. I'll be eating healthy for like three weeks before, and I, I just still not shedding those pounds. So, do you have any tricks for 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 women who are maybe competing now and having a hard time with weight cutting, or that maybe might be interested in competing and they're like, I I'm gonna need to cut weight. Well, I think if you're like starting off competing, then like maybe you don't necessarily have to cut weight. You know, like when I first started, I just fought the weight I was at. Um, now I found that I'm just more comfortable at the featherweight. Like the type of body types I I encounter there just go well with my style. Um, so I've chosen to cut to feather, but I've also been fighting like the past couple of tournaments. I just moved up to lightweight cause I didn't want to deal with the stress of cutting weight. Um, do you feel being, better? Um, I definitely like, to be honest, I don't necessarily feel better. I feel like less stress leading up to the competition, but then for the competition itself, I find one of the benefits of cutting weight is that it actually like mentally prepares you. Cause it feels like you're like, in a sense, making a sacrifice to prepare your body for the tournament. So I feel like. When I arrive, when I've cut weight, I arrive to the venue and I feel like, oh, I prepared my body for this, you know, and not to say that I eat like shit if I'm going to not going to be cutting weight. Like I still try to eat healthy, but there's not that sense of like sacrifice. And I find that sense of sacrifice almost like sharpens my mental game day of Hmm. would be the thing. But no, that's really interesting. I spoke about uh, cutting weight with um, one of the sports nutritionists that's going to be on a podcast coming up, uh, Pat Arrowsmith. And we were talking a little bit about cutting weight for tournaments. And he kind of said the same thing. I mean, he he's just starting jiu-jitsu. He hasn't been in jiu-jitsu too long, but the guy is uh, 
very well recognized sports nutritionist and he was saying definitely when it comes to your first tournaments he's like don't shock your body too much because you're not going to be able yeah. to think about the techniques that you've learned or even pull anything off For sure. just go in your natural weight class and see what happens and then afterwards if you say to yourself i love competing and it's something that i want to do long term then start looking at okay well maybe i could cut five yeah. pounds to fall into another weight division where I might be the bigger person. Mm-hmm. Um, that's always a stress for, for people when they're competing, saying, do I cut or do I not cut? I recently did not cut because I just was lazy and I signed yeah. up last minute and I enjoy pumpkin pie a lot. Yeah. And it was over <laughs> Halloween and for three weeks I had pumpkin pie every day. And I, was, I wasn't I was even planning to compete. And right. then when I signed up, I was like, man, I've had a lot of pumpkin pie. <laughs> How is this going to go? I need to be on yeah. top so I can like just let all my pumpkin yeah. pie fat on like somebody's face. Cheese, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you said you're training, you know, a lot every single week, yeah. you know, you're doing about 10, 10 training sessions. Um, how do you find that your roles are going with other men? I think a lot of, you know, there's a big um, misconception that Jitsu is just a bunch of beefy hothead guys <laughs> that are just like, you know, rolling and sweating on each other. But you're finding more and more that are uh, women that are getting into Jitsu. And we spoke yeah. a little bit uh, about that with, uh, with Brianna Dang. Um, what's your take on the, you know, level of women in Jiu-Jitsu right now? Do you find that there's more women joining, joining Jiu-Jitsu or... Um, I think so. Like I see like at a lot of tournaments now, there's like big registration, uh, at the blue belt level and the white belt level. Um, the only thing is though, you see a lot of tournaments as soon as you hit like purple belt and up for women, there tends to be like a lot of times girls register and then they're like, Oh, well there was no one in my division. So they have to like, end up they don't end up competing, um, stuff like that. What I'm really hoping is that since there's so many girls right now at white and blue belt that they all stick with it. And then you know, when I move up to purple belt, they'll be like, you know, they'll get promoted yeah, too. Yeah, they'll get promoted too. And then we'll... <laughs> Do you hear that, professors? Let's start promoting some of your <laughs> yeah. some of your women at blue belt, so that way Brianna can have people Please. to fight with. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that the sport is definitely growing for women, uh, slowly but surely. Like I said, like there's always going to be that drop off rate. Like even with men, you know, like at every belt, I'm sure like some people will decide not to continue with it. But I think that at least the fact that we have so many girls funneling into white and blue belt, that there has to be some sort of spillover into the higher belts, like, with and, time. And you do a women's only class at BTT, right? Which yeah. is completely free for women. They can come in and try jiu-jitsu, yeah. put on a gi. Come on by. <laughs> come on by. Uh, how, how's that been going? Do you, have, you, have you been getting a good turnout? Uh, do you find that the women are sticking with it, even if it's, you know, once a week and it's a free class? Do you, do you think it's, it's growing some interest? I think so for sure. Like we have a few dedicated ladies. And what's interesting is that the most, most of the women we get are actually mothers of children who are in our kids program. So they kind of see it and they like want to play around with it, see if they can do jujitsu as well. Um, And those girls are like, well, girls, I shouldn't call them girls. (laughs) Those women are, (laughs) are super dedicated. And I have like, they come in, like they wake up super early. They bring their kids to the kids class, you know, and they stay afterwards and then they do the women's class. Like, and I, we have at least a group of like six or seven women who are there pretty much every week. Um, That's so, pretty good. Yeah. yeah, I see that a lot. A lot of the parents that bring their kids to jiu-jitsu, some of them eventually start trickling yeah. into the adult class, which is pretty cool to see. Yeah. There's actually a family that I know pretty well. I was actually teaching the kids 
their kids karate. And then when I stopped teaching karate, I was like, you need to go do this jiu-jitsu thing. And I got the mom into jiu-jitsu. I was teaching a jiu-jitsu class at the karate school once a week just to kind of you know show the kids yeah. something different to make them understand that, hey, you're not always going to be standing, kicking, and punching. That eventually you'll end up on the ground and you need to know what to do, especially for kids that are in elementary school, uh, grade school. You know, kids are mean. You know what I mean? They push each other. They shove each other. Yeah. And the first thing that kids do is they go directly to mount right it's like in their genetics it's instinct, it's if, yeah. if i'm in trouble i need to hop on top of the person and you go sit on them until and they just stop. go sit on them until they <laughs> stop and maybe smother them a little bit yeah so we're finding more and more parents that are that are bringing their kids to these kids classes they're jumping in into the adult classes and this family so the kids started in karate so they moved over to jiu-jitsu so the kids started getting really involved in jiu-jitsu and then the mom signed up and then the mom was like, well, if we get the dad signed up, we pay even less because we kind of yeah, have, we, we have a family package now. And now all four family members are in jiu-jitsu. The kids are doing the, the kids program. And then uh, the mom and dad will come to the adult class and the kids will sit in the lobby. Right. They'll, they'll play with other kids. They'll draw. They'll do whatever. And I find it super interesting. It's like they, they've found something that they could all do together and something that they could share, which is really neat, which is something that you have with your dad. Yeah. And that is super cool. My dad is not a sports guy. Right. Uh, he's a kayaker. So he's been kayaking for, for, for many, many years. I never really had an interest to kind of hop in a kayak and take kayaking super seriously <laughs> because I am a big competitor. And yes, you yeah. can compete in kayaking, but it, but, it, but it's not it's the same niche, thing. You know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's something that I, I enjoy doing growing up. You know, I did a lot of camping with my parents yeah. and, you know, we go in kayaks and canoes and something that we did together, but it wasn't just like a one-on-one. -on -one. Um, it's something that you do with your dad. So your dad being a black belt and like pretty hardcore <laughs> from yeah. experience. Do you find that, that it's helped, you know, you having him at home? Do you find that you guys talk about jiu-jitsu a lot at home do you guys do technique together does he give you advice uh do you take that advice in a positive <laughs> manner or i mean we, we talk nothing but jiu-jitsu at home <laughs> i, I want to make that very clear <laughs> for the past uh, i've been doing jiu-jitsu for it'll be three years in january and for the entirety of those three years uh, that's what conversation at home has been dominated by but uh it's good like i i enjoy it like we come home like you know, we'll talk about the class, we'll talk about our roles, like, it's nice, it helps you, like, helps you, like, analyze kind of, like, what you went wrong, because you're, like, as you're, as I'm telling my dad about this role, I'm, like, oh, wow, I really should have grabbed that leg at that moment, that would have saved me, or something like that, um, occasionally, then, you know, he'll tell me to lie down on the kitchen floor, and he'll, <laughs> he'll demonstrate what I should have done in that moment, so, <laughs> I mean, like, anything, though, like, with when there's family involved like there's times where I'm like you know like shut up don't coach me like you know <laughs> and then two seconds later uh, someone else like another one of the black belts will tell me to do something I'm like oh thank you so much professor like I value your advice you know like, <laughs> your dad's dad, like what the me. hell <laughs> yeah <laughs> did your dad coach you in other sports beforehand like like you were saying that you did rugby did he coach you in rugby um so he was never like the official coach but obviously that didn't stop him from coming and yelling bloody mary <laughs> at, <laughs> at our sidelines you know but um yeah, it, it's always been kind of like sometimes, obviously, you don't want to hear it when it's your parents telling you. So there's been some tension like in the past with that. You know, I, I tell him to stop yelling like a maniac. You know, he continues to yell like a maniac. We go home in silence. But right. <laughs> I mean, it's not, it all comes from a good place. So And he is your number one fan. You know? 100%, and and yeah. I'm going to throw that out there and yeah. something that people probably don't tell you. But from the outside, I have yeah. like super high respect for your father and I attribute 
a lot of my jiu-jitsu to your dad. He spent a lot of time one-on-one with me. So of all the black belts, I would say at BTT, but he's really a guy that's really invested his time in me. Yeah. And, and I really appreciate that. But you have to know that people see that from the outside, that your dad is your number one fan. And as much as like he'll drill you on techniques and maybe <laughs> judge you when you're rolling and I'll see him be standing in the corner with his arms crossed staring at you. <laughs> and like he means well, like he wants you to do great, 100%. right? And he knows that you're that you're bound for that greatness and and he does it from 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 a good place i think it's super cool i think a lot of people out there wish they had that type of relationship with their parents you know that have someone super involved and and share a sport or anything with them to that level i think it's super cool and and your sister is also if i'm not mistaken they're they're competitive you have one sister or two sisters no you have have one sister one sister and and a brother and you your other sister is also competitive in rugby right if i'm not mistaken yeah yeah so my sister was playing rugby at concordia which is like a so at a varsity level it was pretty high level um she played uh, club rugby in the summer um back in the day played for Quebec and stuff like that um but yeah if I could go back to my dad for a second like just to agree with what you're saying like I I do have I owe him so much because in he's never hesitated to let's say like if I ever ask him for a ride that has anything to do with me going to like rugby practice in the past or going to jiu-jitsu like he'll literally like have just gone home from somewhere else and like he has to go somewhere else in half an hour and he finds time to give me that ride if I fits at all for me like having to go to jiu-jitsu having to go to school this or that like and it's the same for my sister and her rugby practices and stuff like that like he's never like if I ever call him I'm like listen like I train super hard can you please like I don't feel like taking the bus for an hour and a half like he'll be there in a second to pick me up like it's honestly I can't say thank you enough for that like he's never hesitated to help us out when it comes to sports like he's there watching every event always like everything like that for me my sister and my brother back when he used to do sports as well that's really cool yeah do you do a lot of, um, do you attend a lot of seminars? Are you a type of person who learns a lot from seminars? We were talking before the podcast yeah. in the car when we were driving <laughs> and, and Brianna actually went to a Bernardo Faria, right? Yeah. Seminar in Boston on the weekend. And we spoke a little bit about it. Have you done a lot of seminars in the past? Have you attended a lot of seminars? Um, I've done a few. Like I did Lucas Lepre when he came here. Um, I went to Murillo Bustamante when he came and Faria's uh, seminar as well, like you just said. Um, I mean, like I value seminars for sure. And I like at each one of those seminars, I like saw great technique that I was super grateful for. But um, in the end, like, if it's gonna, it depends on the price, you know, like sometimes I tell myself like, okay, I could go pay like, you know, anywhere from 50 to 100 bucks for the seminar, or I could go put that money towards a, a competition, a tournament, you know. So sometimes there's that kind of like give and take of where I want to spend my money in jiu-jitsu because it, it does end to, uh, it does turn out to be very costly. Being a to student be, too. Yeah, being right. a student as well and like competing, like always having to travel and stuff. So yeah, it's like I attend the seminars when they're they're convenient, they're like nearby or something, but I, I don't like seek them out, you know, necessarily. Right. And I, I think seminars are, I think successful seminars are made of when someone comes they focus on two or three things and they keep it super simple i think yeah. there are some people who go to seminars and are like i want to learn all the crazy stuff that that guy does right yeah. um but the best ones are really the ones where they break down all the simple things like that one move broken down like, one move yeah. broken down in a thousand different ways yeah. but it's that one move that works the best for them Right. Sure. So, yes, you could show me how to do, you know, some crazy inverts and you could show me how to do some leg locks and show yeah. me how to do 
you know, this different lapel choke. But every time I see the guy compete, he does a Kimura really well. Yeah. He lands his Kimura all the time the exact same way. I want to know how you do that type of thing. And I think we need more of that. We need yes. more black belts giving seminars and showing us the stuff that they do really, really well. Do you, you find that there's more openness now in jiu-jitsu of people sharing information and like their tricks of the trade around the jiu-jitsu community? Because I know back in the day, so I had just gotten a taste of jiu-jitsu yeah. in like 2008 when I was still competing in karate and I just wanted to see what it was about. And when I got more involved in the jiu-jitsu community, people were very... Um, no, this is my thing. It's my trick. Yeah. And I'm not showing anyone except for the people in my club. And I think that's opening up a little bit. Do you, do you, do you agree with that? Yeah, I agree 100%. I think like, especially with the internet, you know, like so much stuff is like on YouTube and stuff that you can't like, you can no longer be like naive enough to think that like you're the only one who knows how to do an arm bar this specific way, you know? Like, and it'll never get out there. It'll never get out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, some, some guy's going to see you do it in a tournament and he's going to post that breakdown on YouTube. So either way, it's going to get out one way or another. And now actually I think what they're trying to do is they're trying to make a buck out of it. Right. Because so many of like the big names out there have their like online uh, academies. So you pay like, I guess like a monthly subscription and like, like I know like the Mendez bros have one. Keenan has one, you know, um, What's his name? Hodger Gracie. Like they all have these online academies now. So I think now that maybe now that they've realized that these techniques are going to get out there, they're like, okay, well, we'll show you them. But in plenty of detail, if you pay like, you know, a monthly, uh, monthly premium, which it could be worth it, you know, depending. Are you subscribed to any of those? I've debated it. um, Okay. But I haven't done it yet. Again, like my my budget for jujitsu is is limited. So I I've been focusing most of my money to go compete, but I wouldn't be opposed to just uh, to signing up for one if like later. Yeah, and, and I think a lot of that information that you can get it just on YouTube. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like a lot of it is there. Like you said, people are filming, they're breaking it down. But I do think that every professor has their niche of things that they do really, really well. Yeah. And if they're willing to post that and break it down and maybe charge a little bit of money for it, people yeah. will pay. I would say people in the jiu-jitsu community aren't necessarily, not everyone is cheap, no. right? Um, it is a very expensive sport, yeah. right? You're paying, so let's say you're paying over $100 a month uh, for your you know, for your membership. Uh, plus you talk about geese, right? Yeah. So how, how, do I have one gi? No, oh right? God. I have three <laughs> geese, right? So if you're training- I have five and somehow I still run out every week. <laughs> exactly, you have to wash your geese and they, yeah. even when you wash them, like they smell like shit and they're horrible. I have I a solution. I've good in three years, right? Yeah, I have a solution though. It took yeah. me forever to find it, but I found a semi-solution. And I know there are some like jiu-jitsu soaps out there. Yeah. You can go online, but I've never bought any because I don't know if they work. I found this product that's super common now and everyone probably knows of it. And I'm just announcing it. Everyone's like, yeah, Ray, we totally know that. We've been doing it forever. It's like those little stones. They're like tied stones. Oh my God. I've used a sample of those ones. And they look like candy basically, right? And I put those stones in the wash with my geese. And when yeah. they, when my geese come out, they actually smell good. If I wash my geese just with regular laundry detergent, yeah. they still smell like crap when they come out. So I think that's a good solution for people. I think they're, I don't know what they're called. They're like tied something and there's some like knockoffs too, yeah. but that's been helping a lot. But yeah, one gi is definitely not. And when you're, when you're thinking geese are what, um, I mean, like 200 uh, bucks, let's say at like, least 200. Yeah. Well, if, if you're, if you're buying just a generic gi, yeah. I mean, you can get, you could find one online for maybe like 60 to a hundred dollars. Yeah 
dollars. If you want something a little better quality, uh, then you're spending one hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah. You want something with a nice name on it, you're spending two hundred dollars. So yeah, it gets really expensive. Yeah. So you said that you are a student. Are you? Do you also work part time to try to fund your your jujitsu uh, life? Or? Um, I do. I was working as a waitress like part time here and there. And like the great thing about waitress jobs is that you know they're one in a million. So you can <laughs> literally. I would get a waitress job. I'd work there for a few months and then a time would come where I'd have a tournament where I'd have to travel. I may or may not get the time off. So sometimes I would be forced to leave that job, but then I could always find another. And waitressing is really good money. You know, you work a few hours, you make like 30 bucks an hour with tips, you know. Um, Just recently now though, I'm working with my uh, sister and her boyfriend's meal prep company. Um, So I go in on Sundays, I help out and it's perfect. Like I work for the day. Um, Aline's plated fresh if anyone is looking for a service. <laughs> plug it in, plug it in. <laughs> I'll give you a ad. chance to do that afterwards. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. So how has your jiu-jitsu going, been going so far? Are you are you planning to do any tournaments coming up? Do you have anything lined up now? Or? Um, so the only thing I have lined up for sure is I actually just recently bought my flight to Lisbon for the Europeans in January. Oh, cool. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. I'll hopefully... If I pass this belt test, please, Fabio, um, <laughs> I'll be getting my purple belt on December 1st. And then, so it'll actually be my first, potentially my first tournament competing at purple belt will be in January at the European. So it's, it's a big stage right away, but I'm like a strong believer that, you know, if you go in with the right mentality, it's like not like the, the jump is only as big as you make it, you know, like in the end, it's just jujitsu. Like these aren't going to be like all of a sudden like superheroes at purple belt. So, right. you know. Hopefully it goes and well. imagine if you do well. Yeah, and then imagine exactly. Imagine if you do well. And if I don't, well then hell, I'm in Lisbon, like you know. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? I, I and I'm super not informed where Lisbon is. To be honest, uh, with Portugal. You. Oh, it's in Portugal. Yeah. Wow, oh. that sounds nice. Oh. That sounds nice. We're in Montreal, and we're about to get like 15 centimeters of snow tonight, yeah. and we're in November, so <laughs> Lisbon sounds pretty nice right now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, especially in January when there'll be definitely like 30 centimeters on the ground of snow. Yeah, so. I'm curious. So. You train at BTT. Yeah. You have a boyfriend that trains at Gracie Baja. <laughs> explain oh my, to my me. My forbidden love. <laughs> yeah. Explain to me how this works, right? So you have two people training the same sport in yeah. two different clubs. And we know that jiu-jitsu, there are politics in jiu-jitsu. Yeah. And, you know, some schools are like, ah, I don't like that school. I don't right, train right. with those people. Have you run into any issues with that? Do you find it works well? Do you get in any like conflicts with your boyfriend? <laughs> Obviously, I'm not here to kind of bring up yeah, your relationship yeah. issues, but <laughs> do you find... Can I say all of the above? Yeah, know? there you go. <laughs> I, uh, I mean... There's obviously, I've never run into anything serious. Like people make jokes, obviously it's natural. Like especially at BTT, we will poke fun at anything we can. So I definitely hear jokes and so does he, but no one's ever like actually malicious towards it. Like it's, I don't think I've ever experienced that. I don't know if he has and just hasn't told me, but I sincerely (laughs) doubt it. And in fact, if anything, like everyone who I've met from Gracie Ba has been like incredibly nice to me, incredibly like open. Like I've, I've traveled with their team before when our team hasn't been going to a certain tournament. Like, yeah, I've, I've been welcomed, uh, quite nicely there um and the same with him and uh, btt you know everyone's as far as i know has been nice to him like um and then there's obviously like it's kind of nice almost to be at separate gyms because i he can go off to his training i can go off to my training and then we can come back and we can even like we'll talk like about the techniques we saw and then we'll even we have like puzzle mats like sometimes you know we'll trade there's obviously every gym has like kind of a style that they're more like geared to so it's kind of nice because i'll get like I'll get the BTT style, you know, and those techniques. And then he'll show me stuff that's like, 
you know, a bit different. And then I'll show them what I learned. And like, well, I don't know if I should be saying this, you know, <laughs> we're spilling each other's school secrets. But, that's pretty cool, though. It's nice, you yeah. know, it's similar, like what we were talking about before, how you have your dad that's in jiu-jitsu and this and that. And on top of it, you have your boyfriend. Yeah. He's also a high-level competitor. Yeah. You could totally plug him right now, by the way. You could totally do that <laughs> right now if you want. But uh, Lucas is definitely a high-level competitor for, for, for GB, right? And yep. uh, he's competing at a high level. So it's nice. You kind of, you know, get to go to BTT, get a taste of that, and then he can kind of take a look at what you're doing too and fine-tune it his own way yeah. also, right? Um, what's your your long-term plan with Jiu-Jitsu? You just want to keep competing? Do you think you're going to open up a school one day? Is that what you would like to do? Or do you just taking it casually right now? Um, I'm not sure about uh, like what my definite future is, but I mean, right now, like I want to be world champion. I want to be a world champion at Black Belt. Um, so I want to just keep competing like every competition I can until then. Um, and then afterwards, like who knows, I, I absolutely love to teach, like just doing the women's class. Like I really enjoy teaching others. Like I help out with the kids class too. Um, well, those kids do get on my nerves sometimes, but <laughs> <laughs> love them to death. Love you all. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love to teach. Um, so I think that I could, it could be like a possible future for me, but I'm just not sure yet. Like I'm, I'm getting my degree right now in environmental studies. I'm not sure if I want to do something with that. Like, but either way, I know 100% like jujitsu will have like a large role in my future. I'm just not sure in what Where, shape, shape right. or form yet. Yeah. And you're teaching the kids classes, right? What 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 age group are you teaching? Um, originally, I was teaching the toddlers, um, which were like super young, like three to five years old. You know. Um, limited attention span. <laughs> now I, I've graduated. <laughs> um, and now I'm teaching. I do the kids one and kids two. So anywhere from like six to like nine, ten years old. Um, and then maybe a bit older in the second class. And do yeah. you find kids catch on a lot quicker than adults when it comes to jiu-jitsu? Um, it's like sometimes you could tell they don't have like that body awareness that adults have. Like so an adult you could be like, I don't know, like, I can't think of an example right now, but sorry, Here, cut that out. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm totally not cutting that out. This thing and <laughs> but yeah, I know with an adult, you can instruct him. Like you can, you can say like, okay, put your right knee over here. Like you want to underhook this leg, you know, versus a kid. Like sometimes if the position, it might not seem complex, but to them, they're just like not aware of their body. So you actually like, sometimes you have to go like actually place their arm, like where it needs to be and be like, here, put it here, you know? Right. <laughs> but that being said, like, I've seen the kids, like, totally surprise me. Like, they'll be rolling, and I'm seeing them, like, bust out this crazy technique. And I'm like, damn, like, <laughs> we're all screwed in a few years, you know? <laughs> and, so. and the kids who compete, too, it's pretty impressive. You know, you, you brought the kids to a competition at the Auto, Ottawa Open. Ottawa yeah, Open and, and they did super, super well. I mean... I was so impressed by them. Kids, and I, I was very impressed by kids rolling and looking at you and listening to you coaching them. Yeah. Adults don't do that. I know. It drives me berserk. So I'll have teammates yeah. sometime that will go compete and they'll be like, hey, Ray, can you like, you know, sit in my corner and give me a little bit of, you know, strategy and coach me a little bit? I was like, yeah, sure, no problem. So I'll sit on the chair yeah. and then I'll, they're clearly in a bad position and they can clearly do something to get yeah. out of their bad, bad position. And I am screaming at the top of my lungs, do this, do that. Yeah. And they don't listen to me. I know. They don't listen. But I was super impressed that the kids were actually rolling and they were they were listening to what you were saying in the corner. Because adults, a lot of adults don't have that. You right? know what it is? I think the adults, like, because I've been there, you know, like you're in the position and you're like, 
someone's yelling at you like especially when I was like in my earlier days of competition when I was still a white belt like you know my coach would be yelling to do something and I'd be like oh but like he doesn't realize right now that if I do that like I'm gonna get completely like you know my guard's gonna get passed or something like that but obviously he knows better but as an adult I think you, you you think too much in a sense you know you're like no 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 like he doesn't know like I'm clearly gonna get smashed if I do what he's telling me to do like and then you get smashed anyways versus the kids they're they're just like, oh, okay, like, you know, do I'll this. just, yeah, yeah, sure, why not? And, you know, they also don't care. It's like, I feel like they might have a bit less pride, especially when they're younger going into a match. So, like, they're not as scared versus, like, my, I was saying at the beginning of the podcast, like, I used to do these white knuckle rides in my early days of competition. And it was just like this fear of opening up, and that would cause me to do worse in the end. Um, with the kids, I feel like they don't have that. So, you know, if the coach says to do something, they're, they're fearless. They're like, okay, I'm going to do it. Coach said to do this. They're not scared. Like if I open up, I'm going to get past, like, they're not thinking that far ahead. They're not, they don't have that ego. I think going into it. Are you, do you find, do you think that you're a coachable person when it comes to you competing on the mat and having someone in your corner? Do you actually hear what they're saying? Or for you, this is my game plan. No matter what's going on around me, I block everything out. Are you capable of hearing advice while you're rolling and kind of adapt yourself? Especially now, I think I, I can listen and I, I take into account. I do, that being said, like, and the people who coach me, like, they know this. Like, I like it, like, very simple. Like, I want to, like, to know exactly how much time is left, like, every, like, you know, minute, minute and a half. I like to know exactly where the points stand. And then, like, and, the, and they know it too, you know, they'll, like, they know when to talk. And because, and then since we have, like, this, like, trust between each other, like, if they're telling me to do something, I know it's because, like, I really should be doing it, you know? They don't they don't just say stuff to say stuff. So when they say, tell me to do something, like, I do it. I'm like, okay, they're seeing something. So I respect that. And I respect, like, the people who coach me are people I really respect on the mat. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it, you know? And we were very lucky to have uh, Cascal teach at yes. BTT, right? Came from Brazil. The guy I could go on forever with For sure. everything that he's done, everything he's won at such a young young age. I think he was what twenty five, twenty one when he got his black belt. He's been competing at black belt for like ever. Now, and, yeah. and how old is he now? I think he's twenty five or something. No, he's uh, he's he? turning thirty actually in, is he that uh, in old? February. I know. <laughs> really, I thought he was twenty five. He's got such a young soul. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. But I think getting instruction from him has changed the game for at least us in oh, our 100%. club. Do you find that it's really elevated your game being able to spend more time with someone at that level yeah i i think 100 percent. like i owe i owe so much to him just like even for like just motivating me to compete you know he's always um he's willing to give anyone time who's gonna like put the effort back in you know so whoever that may be like if he sees that you're willing to put in effort like he will give you his time um and yeah just even just with what i was saying too being systematic like he really showed me that like that's what you need to do in a competition you have to be systematic so like and i've just tried to like uh, kind of mimic his style too you know because he has like he has that one style of passing like obviously like a thousand different variations off that one style but you know he's he's systematic about it so I'm I try to embody that too and I, I really just every class I'm like okay how do you do this how do you approach this like you know and then I'll roll and I'll get a reaction off of what he told me I'm like okay now if they give me that reaction you know I'm like I really I value everything he tells me like I really try and like uh emulate his style and stuff like that yeah it's very unpleasant rolling with him by it the is way. yeah i'm i'm just like and he has that very like a very basic style in a sense like you know it's nothing like something like these crazy flashy stuff that you see more with like the mendez bros and stuff like that yeah. but then again he's like you know best in the world almost like like i think he is you know i think he is the best in the world i think that it's just a matter of time before he wins that world championship but, you know he's been so close two years in a row like Anyways, I just... It's going to happen. Yeah. It's gonna I respect happen. how he takes such like a, a simple approach and he's just like able to demolish like all the high level guys, you know. 
And he encourages everybody at every single belt yeah. level, whether you've been there for a week exactly. uh, or you've been there for a few years. Yeah, it's, it's super high level. And when it comes to people wanting to compete or even not sure if they want to compete, having an instructor or professor push competition on people, not push aggressively, but yeah. say, like, I'll compete. Or, uh, yeah. you know, there's a competition coming up. I'll put the poster up in my gym. Yeah. You know, I, I think that helps a lot um, to motivate people to say, you know what, if my professor is going out and competing yeah. or if he's encouraging and maybe he's not competing, but at least he's, you know, putting up a poster or telling us yeah. there's a competition coming up. I think it will push some people who might not naturally go out and compete. Mm-hmm. Maybe they'll be like, oh, maybe I will get up and do it. Because yeah. you find some clubs where competition is just, it's it's just not there, right? right. It's just people come in, For it's sure. very casual. They train jiu-jitsu. People want to learn jiu-jitsu and not compete. And that's fine. That's yeah. okay too. You know, we always talk about different people have different reasons for doing jiu-jitsu. Some people just want to go in casually. They'll never compete mm-hmm. ever. And they'll go all the way to black belt maybe and just never compete. And that's okay too. But you might have some, you know, hidden competitors that just you know they they don't have that encouragement so i think that's really cool for clubs that do that and you know especially clubs that might have multiple black belts um there aren't maybe tons of them out there you know you might be in a little secluded community and there's one guy one black belt and he's the only guy there and if he doesn't compete and is not pushing it then you know you won't get very far unless you're really driven you say well you know i'm gonna do it if no one else is doing it i'm gonna do it because i have to say that you know btt is a big club but i mean not everyone competes yeah you know do you find that the vibe when it comes to competition is good do you have enough people to you know train with to spar with um do do you find that 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 you're missing out on anything from the amount of people that you have or the quality of of training that you get where you are now or uh, no, I'm I'm super pleased with the the level of the roles I get at BTT. Like, I think that there's, I think it's natural that in any school, like it's gonna be a larger population of like hobbyists versus competitors. But I still think we have like a very large population of competitors at BTT. And like I said, just having that like environment, like you were saying, that environment to like kind of motivate like potential competitors. Like Cascal provides that, especially in his classes, as do the other professors. Um, I just mostly attend his classes. That's why I'm saying that. Um, and I find that, and he'll even make sure that like, if you're competing, you know, you have a competition coming up that you're getting like all the roles you should be getting, you know, if it happens that you're sitting out, he finds you someone to roll with you. And he like, he makes sure that you're rolling also at like, um, at like a competition level, like, you know, like, okay, you two start standing up, like, and he, he'll watch, you know, he'll even like count the points sometimes and be like, okay, you know, you lost that one. Like you have to fix these mistakes, you know. He's training you to compete. Exactly. Like, he definitely creates, like, if you need that atmosphere, he creates it for you. Even if, like, you're surrounded with, like, okay, there's only two competitors in the class today. Like, he still manages to get you a class where you're getting, like, crazy hard roles and you're, like, in that, like, even just in that competition mindset where you go, sometimes, when you know, you're rolling regularly, uh, you might... You know, you might concede the sweep. You might, like, get yourself in a bad position. You know, he makes sure that you're rolling with, like, saying that that's unacceptable and you're going to fight tooth and nail. Especially if he's standing next to you, right? And he's nodding his head and he's like, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. And the things I've done with him standing next to me yelling, (laughs) no, up. You know, <laughs> <laughs> that's good though. That's, yeah. that's, a, that's a super good vibe to have. So you do travel a lot to to compete. Um, you visit other gyms. You're always dropping into different gyms and different places. How do you think? Do you find gyms are very accepting of you, just showing up at the door and saying, "Hey, like I, I'm competing. I'd love to be able to train here for a day." How, how have things been when it comes to traveling and visiting different clubs? 
it's been mostly like a really great experience to be honest i love visiting other gyms when i travel i kind of see it as like doing a competition but without like you know the like life-ending nerves because <laughs> you go in and you're rolling with like people in a competition you step on the mats you have no idea what the person's going to throw at you like obviously you could have like stalked them on instagram or something before but that's like limited knowledge um you have no idea what they're going to throw at you it's a brand spanking new person like and they're going to come at you 100 percent. i find the vibe is very similar when you go visit a gym because there's like a bit of ego involved it's like a visitor you know they're like they're at their home turf you know i'd be the same if someone was visiting my gym you know you want to kind of like show, show them where things stand but that being said like there's no pride you know you're not you're not going home like without a medal you're not you know there's there's nothing at stake so you can have like these crazy hard rolls without any of the pressure and i like i think that's like my favorite part about visiting gyms is that i roll with you don't know what the person's gonna throw at you but they're still coming at you like fucking hard you know so it's it's a lot of fun and everyone's been like every gym I've visited has been so nice to me, so welcoming, you know? Yeah, I, I tend to travel a lot too and for work and wherever I go, I always pack a gi with me yeah. and all the gyms that I go to, people are super welcoming and super nice. I've never had any bad experiences at the gym. Obviously, like you said, when you go in and you put on your gi and all the guys are like, yeah. I don't know you and we know you're a traveler, so expect <laughs> us to smash your yeah, face type of thing. Sure. Uh, so that does happen, but that's kind of cool because afterwards you get to you know chat and socialize yeah. and you realize it's just part of the game. Yeah, there's never any bad feelings after, you know? Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I do suggest, and this is just me throwing this out there, I owned a school for a very long time in martial arts and karate. Uh, when it comes to BJJ, I mean, a school is a school and you're still a business owner. But if you have somebody who messages you or emails you and says, I'm coming your way, can I come train at your gym? <laughs> and they show up, don't charge us a drop in fee. Please do not do that. And I'm telling you this from experience that I've had a great experiences and some schools have charged me drop-in fees and, 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 it's, and it's part of the game. Business owners are running a business, yeah. right? So they need to make money. But if I plan ahead of time and I tell you I'm coming there, when I show up, I mean, you're charging me 20 bucks to, to kind of yeah. just like do a class. And if you're lucky, or like, some, some places charge upwards of 50, you know? Is it that expensive in some places? Like, I understand. Like I'm, I'm speaking from like places that are like in really like like popular cities like new york city um california, LA, california right. yeah and i get it because like it's legends that run these gyms so for sure they get like a large and they must get a lot of people yeah right. influx of visitors right. so i get that um but then sometimes i'm like uh i don't know if it's like a, a smaller gym in like a random city i'm like okay you, you don't need to be charging me 50 bucks you're not getting <laughs> you're not getting like such a large number of visitors that it's overwhelming your own gym you know it's like you said it's just it's kind of nice like you're having a visitor, like it's nice to be welcoming and not yeah. to. I had to say, uh, about a year ago, I traveled. Again, I traveled. I went to Toronto, which is like, what, six hours away. So it's not really a super big visit. <laughs> but, anyways, I went to Toronto. And there are like tons of jiu jitsu gyms in Toronto that, and tons in the area that I was going to. And I, I literally just picked a random one that I've never been to before. I don't know who teaches there. Sent an email saying I was coming. And when I got there, the, the person at reception said, yeah, it'll be 20 yeah. bucks to roll. And in, in a way, I was kind of like, like, I don't really want to give you $20 to roll for an hour and a half. Yeah. And then I asked to speak to the instructor yeah. and the instructor ended up coming, not talking to me, talking to the receptionist. 
and I still had to pay 20 bucks wow. and it was like kind of weird and yeah, and yeah. It, like I spoke to the professor afterwards and he was super nice and super yeah. down to earth and it was he was happy to have me there and I do understand it's a business yeah. but if you're traveling and you're coming from far away obviously that that's not the best situation to say because I'm yeah. coming six hours away uh, but you know if you're on vacation and you're going down south or you know you're going somewhere in the states or people in the states coming to Canada yeah. uh, it's nice to be able to go somewhere and be like hey I'd like to come train at your gym I'm from this gym and I'm just passing through it and this and that and it's yeah. nice to kind of not have that pressure you know what i mean of having to fork something out of your pocket um but again it's a business people will still yeah. charge it will happen so i'm throwing that out there to all the gym owners yeah. out there <laughs> that if us. raymond terrence sends you an email or brianna st marie says we'd love to come train at your gym try not to charge us 20 dollars. <laughs> i'll have the 20 dollars on me i will yeah. pay it if you really want me to but we'll have better roles maybe yeah. if you don't charge me the 20 bucks <laughs> So we spoke a little bit about your training, weight cutting. Uh, you spoke a little bit about your nutrition. Um, do you have any other type of preparation that you do before going into a big tournament? Are you someone who's always stressed out be going, before going into a big tournament? When you get there, are you like freaking out and you're pacing back and forth? Or are you someone that's more calm and collective and you have ways to kind of keep yourself calm and collected before you compete? I mean, I guess I'm, like, a little bit calmer in the sense that, like, it's more routine now. So there's, like, some comfort in the routine. Like, I'm I'm used to the routine leading up to a big tournament. Um, that being said, like, two, three days, like, leading out, like, just that constant feeling of, like, wanting to vomit is, is always there, you know? <laughs> Can't shake that. <laughs> so I'll always show up, like, in the morning of, and no matter how prepared I am, no matter of any of those other factors, like, I still feel that, like, in the pit of my stomach you know I mean it's just something to overcome like at least now I know like I said before I know that at least when I step on the mats I'm like comfortable and it is like it's been such a routine to do this tournament so I have like I have my the usual things I always do like I always do the same kind of like meal prep schedule like to cut weight I always so there's comfort in that but no matter what I think it's normal like you're stepping out it's you're not stepping out I compare it to rugby um, I used to get nervous for games, but never like I did for jiu-jitsu. In fact, like I think going to my second tournament, I actually made my boyfriend like pull over on the highway because I was like, I'm either going to vomit or I'm going to shit myself. I don't know what's <laughs> going to happen, but <laughs> I just don't feel good. I don't know if I'm ready for this. But um, yeah, I think with rugby, you know, you're going out, you have your team, you know, by to your side. You yeah. So if like you lose the game, like it's not, you know, it's the team lost the game. You didn't lose the game. You go out into a jiu-jitsu match, like, if you lose, like, no one else lost that match except for you. Like, that's 100% on you. It's, like, 100% your mistakes, you know, and you have to, I think that jiu-jitsu is beautiful in that way that you have to own up to your shit. You know, you can't hide behind, like, oh, I think it was, you know, her mistakes that led to us losing the game or this and that. No, no, like, you stepped out on those mats, like, you didn't perform or the other person just outperformed you, you know, whatever it may be, like, and everyone will go through that. Everyone will have a shitty bus ride home, car yeah. ride home, flight home, where it just didn't go your way. Yeah. And if you're okay with it and you do fly, drive, or whatever, find your way back yeah. on camel or whatnot, <laughs> if you're not thinking about what happened and you don't feel bad about it, yeah. then why did you compete in the yeah, first place, exactly. right? It's 
you're you're taking it to heart you spent money there's a lot of prep that goes into it so it's obvious that you're not going to feel great if things didn't go your way but things have clearly gone your way recently Brianna so that's good so Brianna I want you to uh, shout out all your social media I know you have a big following Um, if there are any people that want to sponsor an athlete out there Brianna is looking for it she's a student she competes a lot she needs the money she needs the money so if anybody could help out in any possible way um, yeah maybe just let people know how they can reach out to you yeah for sure so you guys could just either follow me on instagram um my instagram is uh brianna sm or you can send me a message there um on facebook too brianna st marie um honestly anything would help i do have a sponsor right now that helps me a bit uh fuji sports actually i'm super grateful to them um fred at btt west island also does a lot for me always grateful towards him um yeah. Great. Awesome. Well, thanks very much for being on the show. I appreciate it a lot. I'm going to try to do something for you at Let's Talk Jiu-Jitsu <laughs> Podcast. We're going to see Thank if we can so get much. some sponsorship going to help you out a little bit. But thanks very much for coming and you're welcome back anytime. Great. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. You've been listening to Let's Talk Jiu-Jitsu with Raymond Terrence. Go follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube page. Turn on notifications and press that like button. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the mats.